Last week, we started chapter 3 of 2 Peter, talking about the return of Christ. And we made the uh, point that a lot of this was dealing with some of the things that false teachers seem to be saying. That They're saying, why is there this delay in Christ returning? It seems like he should have came back already, but he isn't here. So I guess that promise, that's not true. He's not coming back. We talked about that. We talked about uh, the fact that God is a God that has intervened many times in history, and he is going to, even if it doesn't seem like it, it seems like everything is stable right now. Uh, so we talked about the return, and we talked about just as there have been times of judgment in the past with the flood, uh, when Christ returns, it refers to it as this, this day of judgment. So we, we talked about that. I gave that message, and then I went home. And... Uh, one of the things that I did when I was home, uh, I finally got around to um, grabbing the, the, the paper. Uh, by the paper, I mean the Sun and News, which you're not, if you're not from this local area, the Sun and News is the uh, kind of the local paper for kind of Middleville, Caledonia area. And I read this article that was on page six. And maybe you uh, read this as well too, but the headline caught my attention. A uh, Middleville man gets 50 years for assault, kidnap, and torture. Uh, ooh. So I read through this, and I just want you to know just how this hit me, you know, as, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a church leader, and as someone that had just preached about the return of Christ coming in judgment. I won't give you the entire thing. I don't know if some of you have, uh, have read this, uh, but it talks about, I won't go through all the details, uh, this uh, Mr. McClure here that was uh, sentenced to 50, uh, 50 years. I believe this was, I think, his, his fourth uh, very serious offense. There were a lot of other things. Um, and it talked about, I'll just read among others, um, when he assaulted a woman, held a loaded crossbow to her face, uh, kicked her and forced her and her seven-year-old son to accompany them on a car trip, uh, basically kidnapped her, and then it talks about torturing her. It's a very gruesome article. Uh, it talks about his history and things that he had done, uh, it talks about when he's being sentenced, uh, that uh, he was very belligerent to the, to the judge. Um, you have no right to judge me, you know, swearing at the judge, uh, making fun of the judge and all of this, um, showing lots of, lots of wisdom there. Uh, and just not a repentant uh, <laughs> heart at all. Um, but then there was a few things that struck me in getting to, to the end of this. Um, I, well, it talks here about, uh, it was Judge uh, Skipper uh, that spoke to him during the sentencing. So Skipper replied, a real man protects women and children, which that's true, by the way. Uh, whatever, quote, unquote, McClure said. And you do the opposite, Skipper continued. Quote, you victimize them, and you want to know the most amazing thing about all this? Then McClure cuts in, is that you think you'll be safe with me in prison? No, the judge replied. Quote, you still have a chance. It's amazing to me that somebody who has done what you have done, still, if in prison, you decide you have an opportunity for God to come into your life and to change you. Which is great. And I've, I've seen this judge, you know, offer this hope of redemption to people that people would give away. And it is true, but 
so a variety of different things hit me reading this. Now, different set of emotions, because then I read the next paragraph. I'm saved, McClure declared. I'll still go to heaven when I die. I could care less what happens on this earth. I know where I am going. You guys put so much value on this earth. Unquote. The judge asked him, You really think this is what Jesus would do and treat people like this? Then he says, quote, The Jesus that is going to come back and destroy this planet? McClure replied, He's not only a loving God, he's going to destroy this planet. You're forgetting that part and kill millions of people, the evil, every one of us is guilty. At that point, Judge Skipper stopped trying to reach McClure, and then it concludes the article and lists his sentencing. So, I just preached a message on the return of Christ, God's judgment, salvation. So a lot of things go through my head. And one of those, how many people in our community read this? And how many people that are not Christians think, oh, well, that's what you Christians believe, that you can just, you can just claim to be saved and do whatever you want. You, and maybe you pray to prayer and you just think you're all good to go. Um, now, in all of this, the tough part is there's aspects of truth that are really twisted. And the truth really is that there is free gift of salvation to everyone. It is by God's grace alone. And God can forgive even the most hardened person. We also see in Scripture, if we look at it as a whole, and we've seen this in Second Peter already too, that when someone comes to Christ, they're saved because of Christ, not because of any change in their life, but there is a change that starts in your life when you genuinely come to Christ. And that's why in chapter 1 of Second Peter, Peter made the point and said in verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And he refers back to these different qualities that he had uh, told them in that chapter saying, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and with love. And these are things that we are not saved because of these qualities in our life, but if you are genuinely saved, the Lord is going to, from the inside out, be producing these qualities in your life because now you have the Holy Spirit, you have a born-again heart, there's genuine change. And if you don't see those qualities growing, that should be a big red flag, that something wasn't right. There's been some sort of short circuit, and maybe you said some kind of prayer, okay? And maybe you said some words that maybe you didn't even understand what you're saying, but there was something, but you did not really receive a born-again heart. And that there is not this uh, genuine salvation has not yet happened, and so if the fruit of your life is you know, kidnapping and putting a crossbow to somebody's face, I'll just say that is, a, that is not a good sign for genuine conversion. So that's one thing to really make clear from this. But the other thing that hit me, because we're talking about the return of Christ, is again, there's aspects of truth. Uh, it does talk about the Lord coming. It does talk about judgment. But it left me thinking, you know, could I have given that impression? 
Do we give that impression to people when we talk about the return of Christ? And now, twisted people can twist anything. So you can be clear as you want. Sometimes that still happens because people, it, 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 it filters into their ears and into their mind and into their heart the wrong way. But it made me really glad that we ended last week's message the way that I did. That we talked through the first seven verses, but intentionally said, let's look at the next two to come. And I mentioned verse, well, one of, them, one of the two verses that we're going to talk about today, where it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And so that's what's part of miss, is missing in a view that justifies violence, that justifies these things, saying, well, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge. We're not taking the whole biblical picture of the heart of Christ, that the heart of God. And one of the things we're going to see in the message today is God is, is not in heaven, just, just, he's just waiting to come back and just to smite some sinners. Okay, there is going to be judgment, and it is going to be serious. But we're going to see the heart of God and what he actually wants for sinners. That while we are on this earth, that while you are still breathing, that there is still a chance for repentance. There is still a chance for salvation, for even the most hardened sinner that there is. If they will turn to Christ in repentant faith, will be saved because of the blood of Christ. So let's read the passage. Let's start with what we talked about last week to give us context. So 2 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Again, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that exist, that now exist, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So that's where we ended last time, talking about there's going to be this day, there is going to be the destruction of the ungodly. But now, today we're going to focus on these next just two verses. 8 and 9. Peter continues, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of you count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Let's talk about these verses together. And what these verses are going to do is they're going to give us some reasons why Jesus Christ has not returned yet. 
why he hasn't come back. This is the question that is being addressed. Some of these scoffers saying, well, he hasn't come back. And Peter made the point, well, he's going to. But also here is some of the reason why we shouldn't think, well, he's, he's kind of he's late. He's kind of slow. This isn't going to cover every single reason that there is. But it's, we're going to cover the two that he's revealed in these verses. And the first we're going to look at from the, the first verse, verse 8 here, is that the Lord is patient because his time is not like our time. And again, verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact. Okay, realize this, remember this. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So this is answering this problem that they had that some people believe, well, there are passages in the Bible that they knew where it seemed that it was saying that Jesus was going to come very soon. And there are straight up passages that say that. Uh, James 5.8, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 1 Peter 4.7, the end of all things is at hand or near. Like, okay, it must be, it must be coming up real soon. It's and to me, that means, you know, probably in a few years, few months, who knows? Definitely during my life, that's what they're thinking. And there are other passages we don't have time to look at uh, that seem to teach that Christ would return within the life uh, period of the, the original apostles, that first generation. Uh, those actually turn out to mean other things, but they were under the assumption, some people, that Christ was going to return uh, right away in that, that first century. And that it wouldn't be long, at least as far as the way that they considered what is a long time. But as we know now, it's been, you know, around 2,000 years. But we still believe that Jesus is coming back. And does this mean that he is slow to keep his promise? Well, this verse helps us with that. It says, with the Lord, his view of time, his perception of time is not like ours. To him, it is true that one day is, is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Now, this is actually very similar to something that was in the Psalms in the Old Testament. So this is something that even before Peter wrote this, they, would have, they could have had an understanding of this. In Psalm 90, verse 4, it says this, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. And so Peter is repeating a biblical truth and adding onto it under the inspiration of, of Scripture. But this is not a new concept. And so some of the even ancient Jews before Christ kind of latched onto this and had their theories about when the world would end. And maybe there was, you know, six days of, uh, in the original creation. And if there are a thousand years, they thought, well, there will be 6,000 years of human history. And, and then the return will come. And that was even before the uh, New Testament. In the early church, after the time of the apostles, with some of the early, what we call them the church fathers, uh, these are not people writing um, as inspired uh, prophets or apostles, but some of the early uh, church fathers, uh, such as Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and uh, the writer who wrote the the epistle of Barnabas, uh, not really by Barnabas, but kind of written later, um, they also talked about this as well. And I was able to look up uh, some of their writings on this. And they also interpreted that uh, the days of creation, 
Remember, God creates in six days, and the seventh day he rested. That they, that they theorized that they could correspond to a thousand years, and therefore that Jesus would return after 6,000 years of human history. Now, for that to be strictly true, I believe we're, we're a little bit past that now. Who knows if it might turn out to be, to be roughly true. Um, the Lord knows when he's going to come back, and I think we can't know that in advance. But that was a view. One of the things that I thought was interesting about that, too, is looking at their writings, they also viewed uh, the, the seventh day as this thousand-year period. And we see that uh, talked about this millennium, that Christ comes back and he reigns. It's talked about, I believe, very clearly in Revelation 20. Uh, you can see references to this time period uh, in the Old Testament as well. But just this idea of there being a millennium, a thousand-year reign on earth is not like a new thing that has come up. I believe it's biblical, and there are actually these early church fathers that, that held to this thousand-year reign of Christ. One of the things I thought was interesting, too, is that some of these, they also uh, use this to explain uh, why Adam didn't die right away. And the reason for this that they were uh, thinking is that uh, Adam, uh, of Adam and Eve, uh, still lived for, according to Genesis 5-5, 930 years. But back in Genesis 2, the Lord had told him, hey, there's this forbidden fruit, okay, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, don't eat of this, you can eat anything else. But if you eat of this, the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And so some of these writers used this and said, well, he, he didn't die that day, but it says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. So if he lived 930, it's less than a thousand. So he still died within, within, within that day, a thousand year day. Well, that's uh, some interesting speculation. I don't think that's the real reason. Um, in reality, Adam died spiritually the moment that he rebelled against the Lord. His fellowship, his, his spiritual life with God was severed at that moment. He also began to, to die physically. I mean, we're all in the process of dying. He no longer was immortal. He became mortal, and he was in that process. And I think if God had wanted to give strict judgment, he would have had him die that day. But he showed mercy to him and mercy to all of us that come after him by allowing him to live. That was God's mercy. So all these theories are interesting, but that's really not what this is about. I'll just tell you that. I don't think that's a point that Peter is trying to make here when he talks about one day is a thousand years. I don't think it's a strict formula that he's trying to use. I think his other purpose when we look at this in context is basically just to remind us that God's time is not like our time. And I think there's a few reasons, you know, for this. One, notice the verse also says a thousand years is like one day. So if you're going to say, well, one day equals a thousand years, but it goes the other way too. So what does that mean? I think in reality, Peter could have just also said to get the same point across, he could have said, uh, you know, with the Lord, you know, one nanosecond is like 100 quadrillion years. And 100 quadrillion years is like one nanosecond. Because to God, the passage of time, we, he doesn't experience it like we do, where we have to wait and things seem like they take a long time. And to God, he is, he is outside of time. I believe he's the creator of time. He is he's sovereign over time. 
He's not trapped in time like we are. We're stuck on the timeline in one little place. Whereas he sees the, the whole thing beginning to end, and he brought it into existence even before there was time. He can interact with time, uh, but he is not bound or trapped by it. And therefore, he's not in time. He's not going to wear out. He doesn't experience uh, duration like that. It's everything in one sense is all one big eternal present to God. And so when we think that God is taking a long time, we have to realize from, that from our perspective, it may seem like that. From God's perspective, it is not the same thing. The point is that God's experience of time is not like our experience of time. So to put this another way, from our perspective, it doesn't seem like Jesus is coming quickly. However, God is eternal and not bound by time. And his perception of time is not like our perception of time. I want you to think about this a little bit. I mean, even just think how our perception of time changes from like when you're a kid to when you're an adult. I mean, when you're a kid, it seems like everything takes forever. You know, you have to wait until this afternoon for something? Well, you might as well have to wait a thousand years. If you're having to, I'm seeing kids like, yeah, you're right, that's a long time. <laughs> uh, you have to wait to the weekend or to like, you know, something a month from now? Well, that might as well be when you're 80 years old. That's how it seems when you're a kid. Uh, when you get to be adult, things feel like they're clipping along. And the older you get, it starts, you stop measuring things in you know, just the days or the weeks. You start to think, well, you know, just uh, uh, maybe next year I'll do this or two years from now. You start, you think you're decades, you start, the longer you go. I think some of that is the perception, well, not just perception, but the amount of time. I mean, if you're, let's say you're uh, eight years old, okay, you probably only even really remember the past few years. You don't remember when you're really little. So percentage-wise, if you have to wait a month, that's a pretty sizable chunk of your life. You know, when you're later on, it's like, that's, yeah, that's not too much. It's a little, little dot. Some things, yeah, it depends what you compare it to. Uh, talking about things taking a long time, we went to a Whitecaps game yesterday, and we had tickets for, for free hot dogs. Well, we paid for them for hot dogs. So I went to stand in line to get our family hot dogs. I got in line at the, it was the bottom of the second inning. And to say this line was slow moving, uh, it was, there, I think we were passed up by a few glaciers. Uh, by the time I got back to my seats, it was the top of the ninth. It's like, yeah. So, now compared to the baseball game, huge percentage. Compared to the whole day, not too bad. Compared to all year, yeah, just a little bit. Compared to, well, my life so far, just a speck. Compared to God's time, nothing at all. It all depends kind of what you're comparing it to. And God isn't just a God that is very, very old. He's eternal. He's outside of time. It's a whole different league, a whole different category for him. So how much more him being outside of time and all of this is his time just very, very different. And notice too, the passage, it, it also says, you know, not just that a thousand years is like a day, but a day is like a thousand years. I mean, think of both of those. So on one hand, it says a thousand years is like a day. And I think, well, how is that true for God? Well, because it's like a day because it goes by like that. I mean, a thousand years, I mean, even less than that because God is actually outside of time. It goes, for him, like nothing because he's seeing the whole, the whole thing. Okay? 
But then I also thought, well, we should also think about the other one too. When it says that a day is like a thousand years. And maybe you've had days that seem like a thousand years. Um, <clears throat> you know, I hope some of my sermons don't feel that way. Uh, <laughs> but I thought about that. You know, there's some times where you look back and you realize, oh, that was only like two years ago. But it feels like it was like two decades because of how much had happened during that time. You think back before COVID, you think how much has happened. And it, some, it feels longer than it, than it does to a lot of us. And I thought, well, think about it with God. He is aware of so much of any given day. Uh, maybe you write a journal. I mean, I have something I write like, you know, a few little lines about every little day and what I did. Uh, if, if you were to write out everything that happened in a day, um, you probably couldn't, that's all you would do all day long is write about like what you were doing that day. If you, if you were going into enough detail, this happened, you're describing everything you see, you're describing your thoughts and all this. Think about God is all-knowing, everything down to the detail and into the, the deepest recesses of our hearts and our motivations. He knows everything ties together. If you were to try and write an exhaustive biography of even one person, you couldn't do that in your whole life if it, you're trying to get every detail. And we have going on 8 billion people in this world, and God is aware of that. He's aware of your story in every detail. He's aware of all the connections. He's aware of everyone else and how it all relates, and not just the people. He's aware of all the, the deer and the birds and the, the baby grass snakes and what they did each day and everything that's going on. And not just that, every molecule, everything, every trajectory, everything that's bumping into, into each other in a distant galaxy. And so try to process that all, just what goes on in one day, you would need more than a thousand years. So God has all of this one day, it's like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. His perception is just totally different from us. The purpose of this we need to realize that since God's time is not like ours, we are in no position to judge God. We're in no position to say that Jesus is taking too long to return. In fact, not only is it true that we're in no position to judge if Jesus is taking too long to return, we're also in no position to judge if God is taking too long with anything else in our lives. Anything that God does on a timetable for us that is different than the way we would have it done. And think of that. Think of there's so many things in our lives that, that we would want, that we have it scheduled out. We would have the map. Oh, this should happen here. This should happen there. God, why is this taking so long? Why is my life taking so long? And maybe it's some serious hurt that's part of it. Maybe you feel like I should be, uh, you know, have us married or have a significant other by, by this point or at least be heading in that direction. Sometimes there's periods of life where we're like, I, we should have been able to start a family by now and God hasn't let that happen. Or uh, this adoption is taking too long. Or my career isn't where I would want it to be. There's all these different problems that we see in our lives, problems that we see in the world. And we think, well, God, you should have taken care of this a long time ago. Why haven't you taken care of this? Why haven't you given healing right now? Why haven't you, you taken care of this illness? God's timing is perfect. God plays the long game. And he's got the long plan. So trust in that. It may take longer, and his purposes may be different than yours. His purposes are better than ours. He wants what is genuinely best 
for his children and for this world, and everything will funnel to his glory. Trust him. Trust his timing. That's verse 8. Verse 9. Another reason. The Lord is patient. I want to just underscore the patience of God. That's what we're getting from this. I could have also titled this message, The Patience of God, The Long-Suffering of God. The Lord is patient. Why is he being patient in coming back? Because he desires all to come to repentance. And I know that because that's what this verse says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So he's not slow. He's not dragging his feet. Uh, he's not like um, you know, kids. You tell them it's time for bed. I need you to go to bed now. And everything possible is done to uh, drag this out. Uh, yes, Joel, talking to you. <laughs> to squeak out more minutes of being awake at night. <laughs> God is not not slow. He doesn't drag his feet in fulfilling his promises. He's got reasons for that. He's not like somebody makes a promise and he changes his mind. He's he's holding off on this. God is patient. His his, his dynamite has a very long fuse, a very long wick. There will be a day of judgment, but it's it's slow coming. Remember in the Old Testament, he, he gave the Amorites hundreds of years to repent. It says, well, why is he being uh, patient? Why is this? And the text tells us, because God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So let me talk about this from a few different ways. One reason why God hasn't returned is that Jesus has not returned yet because there are still more people that God plans to save. That makes sense. There are more people that God, in his, in his plan, that he knows are going, he's going to save, that he is going to save, and, well, if he, uh, that's going to happen, um, he needs to give that space, that time for them to, to come to repentance. What if God were to just get rid of all evil instantly? Well, things would be, uh, evil would be done, but there would be a lot that would be just kind of wiped out. We think, what if God would just, you know, right away when evil came into this world, he just wiped it out? Well, would you and I have been born? No, we wouldn't have. So, if he did this a long time ago, most of it, we don't even exist. What if he had returned and he had returned uh, 1,900 years ago? Well, you and I aren't here. We don't exist. You know, if God had chose you and he won that he wanted a world that that you are saved he needed to allow a world to unfold in which you could even exist and then come to him as savior being drawn by him and by by his grace and his work in your life where you freely then come to him so what about all those who god planned to be saved but hadn't reached repentance yet those not born what about you the children if Jesus had returned earlier, many of these people would, would not have come to repentant faith or, or even been born yet. So that's, I think, one reason we've got to realize God has this plan for the, the, the fullness of those that he is going to have as his eternal church to come into existence and to have time to be saved. Also, from this, by waiting, the Lord is giving time and opportunity for more people to repent and be saved. So this gives this space, the space that we're in right now, 
And so if you are not yet saved, if you have not, you don't know that you have your sin taken from you and nailed to the cross and that you stand in the righteousness of Christ because of what he has done, there is still time for you. There is still chance. There is still this opportunity. And so God is giving this time for for more people to repent, to come to him, to receive this free gift of salvation that he gives, that he offers, that he paid for on the cross. And in addition, I want to say this in a third way. I think this passage also teaches us that God does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. That God has a genuine desire for all people to repent and be saved. In Ezekiel 18.23, it says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? That's saying basically the same thing, that God is saying, I, I don't take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. What I would want for them is to turn, to repent, to, to be saved, to, to live. Now we have to think through this because we have to think of everything that the Bible teaches and, and categorizes and put it together the best that we can. And we're dealing with some deep things and some mysterious things and some things that are ultimately really out of our pay grade and out of our league but we need to do our best to try and understand everything that God has told us in his counsel. Because you could look at this and say, well, if God desires all to repent, and God, he, he gets his way, that means everyone is going to be saved. And you could end up believing in universalism. Belief that, well, everyone is saved, God will save you, maybe um, whether you come to Christ or not, he'll just you know, save you anyways. Or, you know, maybe after uh, you die, he'll you know, give you another chance so you can be saved. The Bible clearly teaches against that, by the way. You have until the end of this life, and, and that, that time is up at that point, just so you're aware. The Bible does not teach universalism. Many people will be lost for eternity. In fact, we've already seen that in, in Second Peter. You know, it talked about false teachers. It talked about those, you know, reserved for eternal darkness. Okay, that is not salvation, that is not heaven. Uh, Their condemnation was written long ago. Okay, there are people in other places in the Bible, it's very clear that not everyone is saved. So how do you make sense of this? And you may also be thinking, well, Pastor, you know, I've heard you talk about that you believe that God is ultimately sovereign over everything that happens, that he affordains everything that comes to, to pass, uh, that he is, is sovereign even uh, over our salvation, our lives, just everything. So isn't that, doesn't this contradict this? And, or can we just ignore this passage? Well, no, we don't ignore either. Both of these things are, I believe, are true. According to God's infinite wisdom, God has not decreed a world in which all will be saved. And all things considered, literally, God knows and desires that this is the way that things ought to be that not all will be saved. However, considered on its own, God genuinely desires and calls all people to repent and to be saved through accepting the free offer of the gospel. I think that's the way we need to put it together. Let me explain and unpack that a little bit. I think we need to think, uh, this passage here is, is teaching us the truth. 
we need to let it land and let it be real. We're not explaining it away. We also realize that there is a difference between God's, we could, you, put, you could say it different ways, but you could say God's desire and his decree. That there's things that God desires to happen, but in his ultimate plan, they don't happen. There have been messages that we've done where we've talked about the difference between God's moral will and God's sovereign will. I mean, God never actually desires sin to happen. He doesn't want any individual sin. And yet he has ordained a world in which there, there is sin and which we sin. And sometimes when you look at things in the, the narrow perspective, when you crop out everything else and you look at it and you say, there's no way God would want this, and it's true. Think of the worst thing that's ever happened, nailing the Son of God to the cross. That was a bad thing, okay? But God ordained it to happen because this was the way for you and I to be saved. Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for our sin. There's no other way. We couldn't do it. And if he loved you as a sinner, and he can't, as a holy God, let sinners into heaven, he had to find a way for your sin and and my sin to be paid for in full, Jesus did that on the cross. Our guilt is lifted. He gives us his righteousness. Therefore, we can be saved. So, when we think of things in the world, you can think of them according to God's desire and his decree and these different kind of perspectives that are both true depending on how the perspective that you're taking. So, on one hand... Viewed in and of itself, there are some things that are bad, and God does not desire these things. In and of itself, God does not desire anyone to be lost. And that's genuine. It's not like just that he's pretending. No, he, in and of itself, he doesn't want anyone to be lost. The only reason that there are some that are going through is because God also, in his, his divine decree, he considers everything together. Just how everything connects to everything else in this world. And how everything ultimately funnels to, to his glory, to, to our good, and he knows how all of this plays together. You know, we're like that as well, too, sometimes. Um, if you think of the thing in and of itself, there are things that you don't desire on one level, but in one sense, you realize, okay, uh, many of you will not want to get out of bed on Monday morning. And you will genuinely not desire to get out of bed considered in and of itself. But you will get out of bed because you also want to keep your job and to have food for your family to eat. Okay? So in and of itself, no, I don't desire this. But connected to everything else, you're like, this is the way it, it needs to be. Okay? The same way we said with uh, you know, Jesus on the cross uh, is like that. But here's another thing. How about punishing your children? Even, dare I say, it's spanking your children, which is biblical. Okay? And this is the difference. If you are spanking your children because you just love spanking kids, that would be messed up. Okay? If you're like, I just, I just love spanking. I can't get enough of it. I love hurting my kid, making them cry. That would be very, very messed up. But a good parent will spank their kid, not because they enjoy that, but because they know that it is what needs to happen for a greater good, a greater goal, everything else connected to it. So they don't grow up as spoiled little entitled undisciplined brats and all of this. I think I'll do a message on this this summer when we do the book of Proverbs. 
So you see in the same way, in and of itself, God, it is, he genuinely, genuinely does not desire the death of the wicked. And that's part that I want us to, to land on, because that is the part that is this passage. So you can make different errors. You could make the error and say, well, you know, if people are lost, it means things are out of control. They won't end according to the God, the plan that God has for this. Maybe he just didn't even know how it would work out. He's not sovereign. Okay, that's not true. But we also need to reject the other error that God does not desire all sinners to repent and be saved. Okay, the truth from this, God does call and desire all sinners to be saved, all sinners. There's a general call to all to repent and be saved. A command of God for all. You need to come to him, you need to turn to him, repent and be saved. There is the free offer of the gospel to all, to you. And whether you are uh, the worst sinner, and if we knew about your sin, you're thinking, I make the guy in the paper look like, look like nothing. The blood of Christ is enough to save any sinner that there is. Turn to him for your salvation. He genuinely desires it. And there's nothing keeping you from that except for your unwillingness to turn to him. And I pray that God would even be at work there, that he would be working on your heart and that he would be turning you to him. So you believe his word and that you would come to him and receive this free gift. Notice that verse 9, if you have your Bible open, you're looking at it. it. It doesn't say that all would preach salvation. I mean, that's the truth. That's the ultimate outcome of it. But it says repentance in that verse. There is no salvation without repentance. Repentance is not, we have to be clear, it, it, it's not a separate thing from faith. It's also not beating yourself up for your sin. It's also not perfectly giving up your sin. That's not going to happen. But it is ceasing your rebellion against the Lord. You acknowledge that he is Lord. He deserves to call the shots. And it is a bad thing that you have been in rebellion. And you lay down your arms and you come to him. And you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Savior, the one that died for you. Let me give you three quick applications and then we're done. One, be grateful for God's amazing patience. We see this. He's patient, and his patience gave you opportunity to be saved. And if you are saved already, uh, praise God that, that he waited for you to make it in. Okay? Be thankful for God's patience in so many things of life. Uh, you know, God could have just snuffed out evil right away and said, I'm, I'm done with humanity. You guys have blown it. But he's patient. He's merciful to us. Be thankful for his patience in so many things in life that we want certain things right away. We think, this is what I want. I want it now, and this is what I want. This will be good. God, I'm mad at you. Realize God has his plans. He has his purpose. And if he is delaying something, it's because it is genuinely good for you to have it later, if at all. You can still pray for things. You can still ask. But ask with a mindset of if you are willing and be willing to accept his timing. I think there are many people here, and I can think of all kinds of stories that people would say, I realize in hindsight what God was doing making me wait. I realize what God was doing, how he needed to work on my character, how he needed to teach me different truths, how he was setting up me in, in the world for just his perfect providence and what would happen next. Trust God in his timing. 
Also, if God is slow to anger, if God has a long fuse, and if we're called to be like him, learn to be patient and slow to anger. The Bible talks about this a lot. We don't want to be short-fused people. We don't want to be the type that just any little thing, we just explode on people. We want to be like God. We take time. We're patient. Giving people more patience than they deserve. Love your enemies. Love your enemies by one also genuinely desiring their redemption rather than revenge. When there's someone that is against you, do you have the attitude of, I just I want them to get what's coming to them? Or do you have the attitude first, I want what's best for them? And yeah, that means they need to have a change of heart. They need to get right with God. They need <laughs> reconciliation. And that's what you're praying for. That's what you're, you're working towards with any little way that you can. That's what God does to us. We should be like God. That's hard for us. God helps us and gives us the Holy Spirit to do hard things. And finally, don't neglect this time of God's patience. Don't mistake his patience for slack. Don't think, well, God has taken a long time. He's never going to judge. He doesn't care. He stopped caring. I can do what I want. Paul talked about this in the book of Romans, 2 verses 4 and 5. He wrote, Or do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hardened, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on that day of wrath when God's righteous judgments will be revealed. So Christ's patience is true. Christ's patience, though, doesn't mean that he is not coming. Read ahead, the next section, he is coming back. That's a guarantee. But in the meantime, he is giving us this day of opportunity. We don't know how long it's going to last. The, day, the return of the Lord is at hand. That means it could happen at any moment. It could happen before you get home. Okay? And when he returns, the day of the Lord begins and all this, you want Jesus before that whether he returns and the tribulation starts or whether he takes you home and you don't make it home. God doesn't owe us one more heartbeat. There is a sense where it is true, the day you sin, you die. That's what we deserve. But God has given every sinner a stay of execution. And this is your time to turn to him and repent. It doesn't matter how bad your sins are. When there's genuine turning to him in repentant faith, the blood of Christ really will wash away all sins. That's a promise. Not mine. His. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your great patience and love. We thank you for not <laughs> enacting your judgment at the moment that it was deserved, Lord God, or none of us would have made it this far. But thank you for your, your, because of your patience, you've allowed us to come to, to existence. You've allowed many of us here to be saved. And Lord, you're giving opportunity for more people here to, to drop their rebellion and in uh, belief come to you, Lord God. I pray that you would be at work in their hearts, that you would, uh, you would harpoon their heart by your grace, turn them to you, Lord God, and that they would 
that they would, because of that, freely come to you in repentant faith, trusting that Jesus Christ paid for all of their worst sins and realizing they are washed clean because of what he has done in their place. Be at work. Help us to be about your work as well in this time period until the end comes, Lord God. We thank you, we praise you, and we trust you. Anyone here that is still without Christ, turn to Jesus in repentant faith and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.